living. You don't wanna miss it. I was born to get it. Ha. This sound like theme music. Motivation to grind and get you through it. Church. Unbothered, never losing. Check the score. Jamel show improving. Trophy. Don't make me tell you 50, 11 times from politics to laugh. Every week she shines. My word, how I live it. You don't wanna miss it. I was born to get it. So this episode, I have a very special word of the week, and that word is bravado, as in the black girl bravado. Just give me a second to speak. It's the word of the week. Huh? Yeah. Now, while black girls and women definitely possess a special kind of bravado, in this case, I'm referring to my girls, Brittany and Germany, who are the host of an amazing podcast called The Black Girl Bravado. I am so proud to announce that the Black Girl Bravado is the first exclusive podcast I'm launching on the Unbothered Podcast Network. A quick word about this network, which I created in partnership with Spotify. Now, the reason I created this network is that I felt a tribute to black women was in order. All podcasts on this network will center black women. They will feature black women as hosts and creatives. And this network is black woman led meaning you have black women ideating and creatively building these podcasts and producing these podcasts. I wanted to create something that highlighted the brilliance and the complexities of black women. I wanted content that showed how we laugh, how we love, how we reflect, how we nurture, how we worship, how we create conflict, how we solve conflict. Just something that hit on the many complicated facets of black women. With that in mind, I am so thrilled to introduce new audiences to The Black Girl Bravado, where Brittany and Germany have conversations about self-love, self-care, wellness, mental health, and relationships. But they do it, let's just say, in a very, oh, these are my homegirls kind of way. So meet The Black Girl Bravado. It's a new era that's starting off in the Unbothered family. We have the Unbothered Network launching, and it's certainly a special day for me. But I just wanted to know from you, Brittany, in Germany, how do you feel about joining the Unbothered family? And I guess in this new season of your life, of your very wonderful podcast, The Black Girl Bravado. I personally feel super excited, charged up, ready to go. I also feel blessed, but most of all, I feel honored to be on this network alongside you, Jamel, you are so powerful. You're inspiring. <laughs> You're really just that girl. So to be here just feels amazing. Yes. I'm, I'm echoing all Brittany's statements and sentiments. She took everything out of my <laughs> mouth. Um, I'm so excited. This partnership is just so aligned. It just feels right. Um, we've been saying that this whole time and we're just so happy that it came to be that, you know, all of our paths connected and crossed. I'm just ready to do good work together. I'm really ready to connect more with other women and, you know, just build something great. It's going to be a great, great, great time. Now, of course, this is going to introduce you to a lot of new listeners. Of course, the day ones will be down with you no matter what. Those already a part of the BGB family. But how would you describe what people can expect from the Black Girl Bravado? Listen. You can expect to have a good time. You can expect to feel seen. You can expect to feel like, wow, like, why do they get me like that? We're super relatable. 
we just talk about the things that black women deal with on a day-to-day basis. We're best friends, so it's really just our shared experience on the mic. You can expect homegirl vibes. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Sometimes y'all do bring that out in people. Among the many things, though, that I love about you all, it's your vulnerability, your humor, which I think is really underrated. Y'all are kind of funny as hell. And I don't know if people have told you that. We actually say that what we do is edutainment. Yeah. Okay, I get it. So I think that they can expect some candy and maybe get a little broccoli from both of y'all. Listen, all of you out there who have not listened to this podcast before, be sure that you start listening to the Black Girl Bravado because it's very soothing for the spirit. I definitely consider it self-care because they will get you right together, but in a very soothing way. Sometimes you all give it to people real because sometimes that's also what we need. You always make sure that we feel your real energy and spirit. So Brittany and Germany, I appreciate you all joining the Unbothered family. And y'all out there who are listening, make sure you, again, check them out exclusively here on Spotify on the Unbothered Network. There's new episodes every Tuesday. Just give me a second to speak. It's the word of the week. Y'all hear the homegirl vibes. Love those ladies. And now on to today's show. So this podcast is going to be a little bit different. For one, it's out of sequence. Usually during mid-conversation, I do, I got a story to tell. And then post-conversation, it's fucking unbothered. Today, me and my special guest, our conversation is going to go straight through, uninterrupted. And then when that's concluded, I'll tell my story and you'll hear about what I'm fucking bothered about. So let's talk about today's guest. Now, he'll go down in NBA history as one of the best shooting guards ever. He's won multiple NBA titles, including a finals MVP, goes by the nickname of Flash, and he's played with both Shaq and LeBron, though not at the same time. Currently on Netflix, he has executive produced a new documentary, along with his good pal LeBron, about the 2008 U.S. men's Olympic basketball team, also known as the Redeem Team. Now, this was the team that had to go through a long process to reclaim America's status as the top of the basketball hierarchy, because I don't know if y'all remember this, but we got absolutely wiped in the 2004 Olympics. And it had folks wondering if our run at the top of the world basketball hierarchy was over. This is a great documentary, and I highly recommend it because there's so much compelling footage, including a lot of the late Kobe Bryant, who was a very key member of the Redeem team. Anyway, my conversation with this episode's guest was taped in front of a live audience after a special screening of the Redeem team documentary. Coming up next on Jamel Hill is Unbothered, Dwayne Wade. Dwayne, there's a way that I start my podcast every single time. I ask every guest this question. When did you become unbothered? I'm still trying to become unbothered. So I don't know if I've become unbothered, but I have unbothered moments. Okay. When did I start understanding what unbothered felt like and meant? Probably once I retired from, from sport. Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Probably in the last four years, you know, as I've, as I've tried to, to grow up a little bit and I've grown a lot. 
Um, I've learned a lot about myself. You know, sometimes when you plan sports, um, you got to be your alter ego show comes out a little bit more than who you really are um, because you got to be a different animal. Right. And so once I retired and that part was gone, I just was left for myself. And so I think in the last four years, I've been I'm becoming unbothered. So watching this documentary, which is phenomenal and it was funny because Bill Plaschke, a columnist for the L.A. Times, he says in it, you know, it was a given in 04 that you all were going to win. So that first game against Puerto Rico, nobody went. I'm nobody. I was there at the game. That was the very first Olympics I ever covered was 04. And so they assigned me to cover both the men's and women's basketball team. And I remember thinking after y'all got drugged by Puerto Rico, <laughs> I was just like, oh, they in trouble. And not like we can flip a switch and win this, but. The problems that were exposed were problems that you guys, it didn't seem like we're going to be able to to get over. So you all win the bronze, which is considered a huge embarrassment uh, because everybody's used to the U.S. dominating. For you, when they gave you that bronze medal, what did that feel like? First of all, hindsight, the bronze medal is a, it's pretty good to win a bronze. It <laughs> is. Like hindsight, you're yeah. like, I'm on a podium. Right. Athletes work their tail off to get on that podium. And we looked at that bronze like it was a penny. That's how we treated it. And that's how we felt in a moment because of the expectations that's put on the U.S. men's Olympic team. I mean, we supposed to win gold and we are the, the guys and everyone want to take pictures with us. And so we, we were embarrassed. That's what the bronze felt like. It felt like this is what embarrassment feels like. And we felt it once we got back as we landed in the States. We, we felt all of it. One of the worst things is when you go, when we went to the Olympics, uh, Jadakiss had this Jadakiss song. Why? Favorite song. We all rocking it. By the time we got back, it was a remix. <laughs> and we were the headline. <laughs> and so I just think, I just re one thing I remember, Jamel, is I remember sitting there, and I'm young. I don't really know what it means to be on the Olympic team yet. I knew what the dream team looked like. I know what we all felt like with the dream team getting put together. Um, but I didn't feel like I was supposed to be – I wasn't supposed to be on that team. Like, I got a call two weeks before training camp, like, hey, would you show up? And so I really didn't understand, like, really the you – know, how important it was and how big it was um, at that time. But I did – what I did realize is that that feeling sucked. And I remember watching Argentina celebrate on the court after the game. And I was like, that just looked – the celebration and the way they celebrated together, it looked different. It felt different. And we knew we had a, a lot of work to do to get to that point where we were actually happy for each other's success the way they were. Like, you can tell they were brothers. And, like, they were – it was tears. It was real, like – it was real tears. And so we couldn't have won that because we couldn't have appreciated what it would have been to be able to walk away with that goal. And so uh, we needed that butt whipping. At that point, once that experience is over, are you thinking, I want to do this again? I want to redeem myself or help America redeem itself? Absolutely not. Never want to play again. It's like, I'm not coming back here. I didn't gave up a month and a half of my summer. I just got an NBA. I got a little money. I'm trying to get out here. I live in Miami. I'm trying to get out here in these streets. And then, you know, it sets in. And like, once again, the embarrassment sets in and the competitor in you sets in and you're like, okay, we got to go redeem ourselves. And so 06 came and we like, all right, Let's go out and get this gold in the world games and get ourselves ready. And then smack, 
another bronze. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I didn't think I would ever play. A lot of guys, if you ask every guy on that team, they were like, we're never playing again. And it wasn't that we were just that bad. Like, we were not used to the rules. We were not used to the game. And so a lot of it felt like, oh, we can cheat it. You know, a lot of calls that you get in the NBA, you're not getting over there. People can put the ball on the rim and you can knock it off. And we like, wait, what? We did that in the hood. We ain't this you doing this in the Olympics? That's milk crate rules, right? Yeah, milk crate, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and so like we didn't know a lot about the FIBA game. Like and even when I got over there um to uh, I forget where we first got to, they changed the balls on us. Like we were playing with FIBA balls. I'm like, what is this ball is small. It's slick. Like we're used to playing with NBA basketballs. And so everything was different. And I was like, I don't want that smoke no more. And then a couple of weeks later, I was like, I'm back in. I kind of want the smoke. Oh, yeah, I want that smoke next time. <laughs> so once the team was assembled, obviously you went through a very significant injury that, uh, as you all you know saw in the documentary, that there were some questions about whether or not you would be somebody, I don't know if necessarily made the team, if that's too dramatic. But once you got hurt and you have committed to this team, how did that impact your your mindset going into things? Yeah, well, I mean, let's take it to 2006. Top of the mountain. World champion, finals MVP. You can't tell me I ain't the best player in the league. I'm feeling myself. Going to the world games. I think I almost averaged 20 that summer. We can go back and look, but I think it was about 19 points something. I'm feeling good about, you know, even though we lost, you know, we won a Brian, I'm feeling good about my role and where I am. I'm the guy, I'm one of the guys on this team. And then injury happens the next season, shoulder, knee. And now I'm on the outside watching the 2007 team in Vegas come together. I'm watching Kobe now step into that role I was in. And now I'm looking at it like, wait, hold on. Do I even fit on this team? And then I go through the season and I'm not healthy. And the heat actually shut me down halfway through the year because Riles was like, go get healthy. And now I got like a month and a half to get ready for the Olympics. And all the conversation is about, you know, the team. And my name is not brought up in the team. And so I'm like, I'm hurt. Like, I'm I'm really hurt. Um, I understand it from the standpoint of like, yes, I wasn't, I didn't have a great year last year. But like, I'm one of the guys that's been a part of this. And so having to try out for the Olympic team twice that hit my ego <laughs> but it really just kept you know putting that that fuel on that fire for me which I needed so once you are on the team and you guys are all together given the news of the day I'm just curious was there any fights in practice and anybody <laughs> there you go there you, you go did anybody steal on somebody or friends <laughs> how many <laughs> No, it was very, it was all, all hugs. <laughs> all hugs? All hugs. <laughs> okay. No, but what was that, you know, because often when you talk to players, especially once you guys are retired, they talk about those are the times you miss the most. So what was that experience like as you guys are trying to gel? You have this common mission. What's that experience like? Well, just getting to know each other. You know what I mean? Like, first of all, we're all fans of the game. You know, we all fans of each other. You know, we, we're not playing. We're watching our favorite players play. And these are all the guys that you hear, as LeBron said in the doc, these are guys that you was like, man, if I had Chris Paul, like, come on now. You know what I mean? And so now you have it and now you're around these guys and now it's like, it's cool. Like now I'm around Kobe. Like I, I grew up wearing Kobe jersey. I grew up, you know, trying to be like Kobe, right? And now I'm around Kobe. And so being able to be a fan 
<laughs> of these guys was was amazing. But then be able to learn more about them, to be able to call ourselves brothers and family, like we really had to get to know each other. We really had to spend a lot of quality time together, and and we did that. And whether it was at breakfast or whether it was in the in, in the weight room, whether it was you know in workouts, whether it was on the plane, like wherever we were, we just was all together. And like I said, it was just watching like Argentina, like they were together. And we couldn't just show up and like not know nothing about each other, not know nothing about each other's family, not really like want it for the other guy as much as you want it for yourself. And so that's what we built. So who is it that you would say your relationship with came the furthest during that time? Well, first of all, I believe all of us would say Kobe because nobody had a relationship with Kobe. (laughs) So if you was able to say hi, that was, it went far. Uh, But me personally, yes, I would say Probably if I say two people, I would say Kobe and Chris Paul. Chris Paul was coming off of his rookie year at, at that time as well, and so I didn't I didn't know CP. You know, Bron and and uh, Carmelo knew CP, and it was like, all right, I'm friends with them, so I guess I got to become friends with him. And then I actually started like, I love the guy. I was like, oh, he's he's cool. But um, but Kobe was was somebody for me that you know we both was playing the same position. I was. 26 he was 30 I was chasing him to you know to get in his eyesight so he can respect me and I've always heard about his work ethics I've always heard about this like this this character called the black mama that we all you know got wind of and I wanted to see what the black mama was really like right like I'm like what is what how hard do he really work like I'm I work hard and then I got a chance to, we all got a chance to experience the work and like these stories that we tell, there's only a few, like he, he kept doing this. Like he kept one up in us. If we showed up at six to work, I wouldn't. He was like, all right, well, I'm gonna get up at four. He like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so like being able to sit like this and have conversations with him and be able to, to, to understand his mindset, um, be able to laugh with him, you know, um, <laughs> That's a, that, that's a lot to laugh with Cole at that time. Cole wasn't a laugher. He didn't talk to you. He didn't dab he you up before games. He wasn't a laugher. <laughs> yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like we all had handshakes. Cole had no handshakes with nobody. It was just straight like, let's get to it. You know what I'm saying? And so it was great for me to be able to, one of my idols, you know, somebody, and I always say Jordan, Kobe, and Iverson are my favorite players who I model my game out there to be able to get to know him personally. With Kobe, I think for a lot of people seeing this footage, it's celebratory, but it's also heartbreaking at the same time. When you first saw this in its final form, seeing all the footage and everything together, what was your gut reaction? Yeah, same thing. Um, and I got a chance because, you know, I was lucky enough to, once again, let me just say this, I was lucky enough to be an executive producer on this. You know, I give a lot of credit to the producers, the directors for reaching out and, and really, you know, understand the importance of having the players' voices a part of this. And so I got a chance to kind of get in early before all the edited footage. And I got a chance to see a little bit more. And I watched it by myself the first time. My wife wasn't in the room and I watched it by myself and I was crying. I got emotional. You cannot see Kobe and Gigi together and not not burst out in in, in emotions and in tears. And so it was very emotional. And that's why it was important that myself and LeBron and and Melo and CB and all the guys' voices was a part of it to tell Kobe's story the way that we seen it and the way we experienced it. You know, statute of limitations have passed. Is this where the Heatles were formed? (laughs) Is this where it happened? You can tell us now, T-Wave. Like, what do you mean by that? Okay. During the 08 Olympics, were you having conversations with LeBron, with Bosh, who maybe other people we don't know saying like, you know what we need to do? We need to be like Voltron. Some of y'all too young to get that. But like, we need to form 
this power team. Is this where these conversations were happening? No. I don't believe you. I, guess, I, 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 like, I don't believe I, you. I don't. I don't believe you. I'm not. I, I, like, I got to be what? honest. I do not believe you. you I didn't don't tell me not one time. Nowhere was anybody talking about playing together. I wasn't privy to that conversation. <laughs> I don't understand how y'all can ask me and then don't believe my answer. You believe my other ones, though? You don't we believe do. this one? We don't believe no, this one. I don't. The conversations never happen. Never happen. Because this is two years before. Yeah, I mean, that, I, under, I get it. I get you know it. the timeline, right? I understand how it looks. Okay. You know, All I mean, right. Y'all don't like, like, I understand how it looks, people. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we didn't have the conversation. But what I do think happened, just l- hear me out, mm-hmm. is being able to play with that 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 level of talent. In 2004, we all had egos and we brought all our egos and we didn't put them on the umbrella. We just brought them all in. In 2008, we learned what sacrifice was really about. We, lo- we learned that it was a, a what bigger than you was really about. And so I think that took on a, a, a bigger message for some of us that first of all I like playing with this talent I mean no I ain't saying that about my Heat teammates but I mean they not Chris Paul and LeBron and Carmelo and so I think you just you know just in the back of your head that you can play with this talent you get a chance to do it in all-star games you have fun with it you get a chance to do it in the Olympics it's amazing but we never thought it would I never thought LeBron James would play in Miami why why would I think that why would I, think, I might be starting to believe you a little you know, bit. Say, like, okay. Why would I think LeBron would come to play in Miami? Come on, guys. Like, just sir, seriously. I mean, it is Miami. And though. I held it for two years. <laughs> I didn't say that he gave you the yes then. What I'm saying is that, were you like, you know, Absolutely. it's kind of cool. The place. I mean, yeah. No state the, taxes. You know? like I don't think just... he worried about state taxes. I don't think he had 90 off the back. I don't right? think... Nah, it, it was never it was never a conversation. And like I feel like I've been asked this question so many times. I feel like I should just start lying and say, yeah, because then I feel like we, we could just move asking. on from it. Yeah, we yeah. probably stopped asking so, at that point. I'm still not saying yeah right now. It's okay. It's your story. You stick it to it. So once it, it, it's over, you guys achieve something that you have been fighting for for a couple years. What is that feeling like when they put the gold on you? Uh, Doug Collins. Um, he talks about it in the documentary and he says and there is he told us to make sure that we hear the national anthem and you know you, you hear him say that and you want to get to that because you know if you're hearing the national anthem then you know that you guys have won <laughs> because we've been up there before and we didn't hear our anthem and just being up there in that moment I, I believe each individual went through the rolodex in their mind of their entire basketball journey it's hard to be great in, in anything. It's, it's even hard to be average <laughs> in a lot of things. And so to become great, you start thinking about all the work that's went in it. You start thinking about the surgeries. You start thinking about the sacrifice. You start thinking about all the hardship. I mean, I'm standing up there at 26 years old. I'm in fresh in the middle of a divorce and custody battle. I'm fresh off of two surgeries. You know, like we, it's real life happens and so you're sitting up there in that moment and you realize like through all of that through all that darkness like it is still light you know what i mean it comes out and it came out in the form of a gold medal and just enough that like you could see my face i was just like i just couldn't believe it i was like this feeling that i have like i just tried to like just stay in that moment because i i knew that that feeling don't happen often you don't win a gold medal you don't succeed in that way that you don't get to play and stand next to Kobe on like it doesn't happen and so for me I was just like inside I just like please just 
go slow natural anthem. Like, <laughs> go slow. You know what I'm saying? Because I just wanted to, you know, we all wanted to just enjoy the moment. And because we, all of us, you know, moments go back, they go past so fast and we can't really enjoy them. And so that was like an out of body experience where you can kind of just sit in it and just look around and you, you, you see the tears of family that's in the stands and, um, and you know, back home, like I knew my wife was going, she wasn't my wife at the time, but I knew that my new, uh, you know, girl that I was, you know, trying to get with the girl you were courting. Yeah. The girl I was, that's old school. I courting. I knew she was back at the crib going crazy. You know what I mean? I knew she felt good about her situation cause she had me, you know what I'm saying? And so like, but you sitting there, you're just thinking about just everything. And just that moment for me and, and for all of us, just like you go through your own individual journey through life and you know the highs are great the lows suck and that was the highest of highs and so it felt amazing what do you think you learned about yourself going through both 04 and 08 i mean i think i say it all the time but you know I, I learned what the bigger picture looks like and what it feels like you know when you get into the nba and you know you're pretty you're pretty good and you're you're getting all this attention you're getting all this you really jump into the, the individual it becomes about you right away you I lost my mind a few times you know what I mean and got humbled in 04 got really got humbled in 04 got humbled in 06 got humbled in 07 like and so I just realized that like you know and my dad always told me when I was young and I don't think I realized it as much but my dad my dad didn't care if I came home and I had 40 points my dad cared when I came home and I had 15 points and I had 12 assists and I had 10 rebounds and I had seven blocks. This is really a style line, by the way, uh, when I was a kid. It, it did feel real personal. Yeah, I remember it because I remember my dad celebrating and taking me to McDonald's. I'm like, all I had was 15. But he was trying to show me that it's not about the individual, that, you know, you play a team sport. And if you, you know, and I think, you know, a lot of, for a lot of us, if, if we want it individually to be great, then, you know, we should have picked up golf like Tiger or we should have picked up tennis like Serena, singles tennis. But we didn't. We picked up a team sport. And when you play a team sport, it has to become bigger than you. And I learned that throughout that process. Thank you for ending a mystery. So parents do have McDonald's money. That actually it, is. A, they do. They huh? actually do. It was, But it was a little like, you know, when they had like the it was like a little quarter pounder. It was like a two dollar joint. Like it was only because it was two dollars. It was a special that was about it had it for about a week. <laughs> and that was the week, baby. <laughs> so I want to pivot slightly because I'm sure as you watch this, I'm wondering if you think about maybe the man you were then versus the man you are now and what your evolution has, has been like is that now you're not playing. Now you have become, you know, in many ways, a spokesperson for a lot of different things. And I think people look at you as a, you know, a family man, a great husband, great father, all those things. So when you think about how you've evolved as a man from there to now, like what comes to mind for you? Well, I didn't eat fish back then. I didn't eat vegetables back then. You didn't eat um, vegetables? I was on like burgers and fried chicken. Dog, your colon was like, <laughs> no, real. Like my my pre my meal was uh chicken fingers and fries, hot dogs and burgers. Like literally that's how I was hooping. So <laughs> So you was eating off the kids menu, like straight everywhere. off the straight <laughs> off the kids menu. Um, so like that evolution has I eat a lot of okay. different things. <laughs> Much healthier D Wade now. Um, I feel like at the time, like I, I said this out there on the carpet, like I wasn't a man. Like I was an a I was an adult boy. I mean, I'm still trying to grow into into what that really what that really means. But I just look back at that time and and just think about what I didn't know, what I didn't experience, what I have not seen yet. 
Lisa knows she had to drag me to the Great Wall when we were in China. I was like, I don't want to go see the walls. <laughs> she looking at me like, what? I was like, I, I don't want to go see buildings. They're looking at like that was my mentality. I was like, I was young. I was, you know, I was ignorant. Mm-hmm. Just looking back now, and just I'm appreciative of the experiences that I, that I've had. I'm, I'm appreciative of the people who have come in my life to help me see um, different. And you know, and you know, and I think it's it all is all not for me. It's all for my kids. It's for me to see different and and hear different and know different, so I can teach them something different. And so that's what we're trying to accomplish. It's impossible not to know, especially how much care and sensitivity and just, I think people see your relationship with Zaya and it is just so incredible to witness. Um, yeah, y'all can clap. Yes. I mean, it's very incredible to witness. Now, recently I saw you made the decision that you turned her comments off on her Instagram page. What made you decide to do that? We actually never turned them on. Hmm. We never did. And, and by the way, I mean, I listen, one thing I do know is, you know, what I've, what I've learned throughout this is, you know, our journey as a family is our journey. And we know as other as other families out there that, are, that have the same journey and is going through the same things we're going through. But we also understand that other families are not. Everybody don't have to applaud if you don't want to if this is not your journey. This is our journey. And uh, we're trying to navigate it the best that, you know, that, that we're learning how. And so when it came to Zaya and social media, she's a, she's a kid who wants to be on social media. And we experienced it a few years earlier with Zaire, putting him on social media. And you think social media is this great platform and it is, but also too, we all know what comes with that. Right. And so just seeing the, the ugliness and the negativity that he, my son dealt with just because he was my son and he, and he played basketball, the things that they would say. And so once we got around the Zaya on social media, it was no way that we could allow that to happen for her. She gets enough. She gets enough people at school that come to him like, Hey, have you seen this? Or you know this? She, she hears enough but we just wanted the people in her that's in her inner circle, that's in her life, the ones that really root for her and celebrate her. We wanted them to be the ones that's exposed to her, her life, exposed to her, you know, the moments that she decides to share. And it's not for everybody. It's just not until she gets to the age where she's ready to allow it to be. You know, we wanted to make sure that we control uh, the hate on, you know, on that app. And so that's what we did. We cut it off. No comments from some certain people. Understood. Definitely. Protecting her peace is very important. Protecting her and peace. her childhood, yeah. to be honest. All right. Before we wrap up, so how I usually end every podcast, this is where the controversy happens, D-Wade. I'm just letting you know. I'm a professional. I, you're right. You're right. So I end the podcast with a game that I play with every guest. Your wife has played this game. Okay. Why <laughs> you ain't tell me in the car so we could have went <laughs> over Because she this? wanted to make sure that you had no awareness Right? That's my co-conspirator right there. So it's called this or that. The choice is yours. You can get with this or you can get with that. You can get with this or you can get with that. I'm gonna give you two choices. Mm. You gotta pick one. Mm. It is what it is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Better car player. You or LeBron? Me. <laughs> and I know you feel it. I know why you asked that question. No, <laughs> just because you won the last game don't mean like you're I better. I mean, just because I kind of whooped you in space. How like, you we ain't going to talk about it. <laughs> no, no, don't be trying to bring our personal into this. I, 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 you won one game. I, sorry. By like a book, I think. I, but I won, book. though. Right. Okay, but, but that wasn't not. why because in the redeem team y'all talk about how y'all play cards literally yeah, every right. night. Yeah, you're right. Well, we were okay. So then that's a different game because okay. that's gambling. 
Okay. That's a little different. What was your, what were y'all playing? We played spades. Okay. That was like Bouray. Oh. Yeah, that was before. We weren't even playing Guts at the time. I think that was Bouray still. And okay. um, listen, I always say one thing. What I what I learned in high school, because it was a game that they used to play when I was in uh, high school, it was called Big Bank Take Little Bank. So That's Big Bank Take Little Bank That's in those Chicago games. Chicago shit? Or like- Man, they was doing that in classrooms. So oh, okay. It was crazy. All but right. Big Bank Take Little Bank in card games. Like, you can't beat somebody that got way more money than you. Okay. How you going to like, you can't get them out the pot. So what's the most you lost? I mean, I, you know, my financial advisor had to talk to me a few times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she put me inside see if I had a problem. Okay. I'm serious. All right. Tony Braxton or Anita Baker? I don't know. A little birdie might have told me you used to listen to Tony, Tony Braxton. Tony Braxton, man. <laughs> Listen, I love Anita Baker, but I don't know. You know, my, that was a little bit before my, see? my ears. There you go. Up. There you go with that old stuff. All I right. know Tony Braxton. <laughs> Tony Braxton, baby. I, I am told by my wonderful clandestine source that you used to listen to Tony Braxton before playoff games. <laughs> yes. Which song? Listen, first of all, let me just say, <laughs> right, let me just say this, okay? On, it's not dude. about the song. It's it about, about the song. It's about like sometimes you gotta, mm-hmm. you can't listen to. <laughs> you couldn't even, you can't, you couldn't even say something that <laughs> yeah, was I'm like not like, I'm profane. just on it. You can't always listen to, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I don't okay. want, like, sometimes I got to come in his joint calm. Sometimes I got to come in his joint loving a little bit. You know okay. what I'm saying? Like, I like to be in my feels a little bit. Okay. Don't mean I can't go out and score 30 or 40 on you. All right. You know? So, like, I like to listen to. Was you listening to, to Love Should Have Brought You Home last night? What was you listening to? I mean. Be, Unbreak uh, My Heart. Unbreak My Heart. <laughs> I knew say it. Say you love all right. Look, you feel me? Like, think about it. And I went out and scored 40 on somebody listening to that. Right? No, but yeah, I listen to I listen to a lot of different music. I try not to stay like in just like hip hop. You know what I mean? I try to move around like sometimes some meditation, sometimes some jazz, sometimes some country. Okay. Yeah, shout out, shout out to my guy Blake Shelton. Look at that. Drop yeah, I listen to it all. All yeah. right. And finally, dream team or redeem team? So before I answer this question for... <laughs> The seventeen hundred thousand. That's time. right. 17. Can I have? Can you guys participate with me on this one? Mm. Dream team, raise your hand. So your answer is redeem team. I'm, I'm going with the crowd. I'm going with the crowd. What I'm going with the crowd. They 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 said redeem team. I'm just going with the people who get to watch. Okay. I'm a competitor. Of course. Uh-huh. I, like, listen. I would say this. Our vision of playing in the Olympics, politically correct, came from. The dream team, right? Like all of us one day wanted to be on that stage because of them. And like it would never be another dream team ever, but it would never be another redeemed team. And a lot of it has to do with what we were dealing with versus what they had to deal with. Two totally different beasts. And so talent wise, you can match up people and say that, yeah, he can't guard Jordan. He can't guard LeBron. But like, Mindset wise, what we had to go through to win that gold medal versus what they had to go through. I mean, people was taking photos with them. You know they weren't doing like, that with you. Yeah, no, no. They <laughs> they weren't doing that with us. Like in 04, like we literally and a lot of players a lot of players got out of the Olympics, but like we literally was in Turkey and it was a bomb. It was bombing. Like we went through a lot to to get that gold medal. Like we put ourselves and our families and everybody in, in a little tough situation you know um it was you know harm it was harmful in the sense like going over there that's why nine players got out and so the state of the world was different you know everything that we were competing for like coach k said the the walls was caving in on us 
because we had lost before, right? Like just the mentality and everything we had to deal with was different than what the dream team. And so if the mentality is going to determine who's going to win, I feel like we're going to have enough to get over the edge. You know, I hear you because like you guys definitely won in the adversity battle because you, you know, the, the whole country, everybody was so down on the team in the state of U.S. basketball. But they they, they never cold. had to deal they with it. They was cold, though. Yeah, they were. Yeah, well, they, they was cold. Like, a lot of negativity. It's all right, because I'm going to just tell everybody, D-Way said he would have dunked on Jordan if, uh, you know, you'd have to check him. Or I'm going to just tell everybody that. All right, ain't nobody worry about that. Can I, can, I share, <laughs> can I share one story that I just, yes. and it, it, it might just, I don't know if it's a good way to end it for me, but, like, just a story for me that um, I talked about earlier with my team that was very important for me in the, throughout this Redeem team. I had came off a conversation with Coach K about me coming off the bench. And you would say, like, yeah, of course. Like, it's okay. You're on an Olympic team. Like, you end up, you know, doing what you're doing. But, like, at that time, like, we still got our pride. We still got our egos. Like, I, I've been starting my for a very long time. And I remember coming off the conversation with Coach K about coming off the bench. And it was fine. We both mutually agreed that that was the best place for me to be for my talents to help the team. And leadership. Co Kobe, right off that conversation, grabbed me and immediately took my mind to another place he was like so when me and you on the court together and i'm all now forget coming off the bench i'm like okay all right <laughs> i like where this is I going like where this is going <laughs> yeah and he was like i'm gonna pick up my man 94 feet and i'm gonna i'm gonna turn him twice before we get to half court and when i turn him at half court that's when i want you to come and attack right and so i'm like Think about it now. This is Kobe Bryant. This is a 30-year-old Kobe, and I'm a younger 26-year-old. He could have been like, yo, D, when you get in the game, go pick up. Go pick up 94, young fella. And then I, and so at that moment for me, like that, that, that was so important for me to, to get out of myself, to forget about whatever individual thoughts that I had and really get into what I needed to do and what my role was for this team. They, Kobe knew that no one could do what I could do. And he gave me that immediately. As soon as, as soon as I, me and Coach K had that meeting, he gave me that confidence right away and took that out of my mind. And, like, to, to have a guy that already had three championships tell you that I'm going to pick up 94 feet and you get to come and get the steal and get the dunk, I'm like, what? This is amazing. <laughs> and so, you know, you guys see, like, I, I did that. I did exactly what the leader on our team, you know, put that gas in me to do. And that just showed that showed you a lot about, you know, what we were trying to accomplish and how how big it was um, and how, how much it was bigger than us that Kobe Bryant was like, I'm going to pick up 94 feet. And so for me, that was just I just wanted to share that story because it, to me, that was a very important moment for me as looking at this team different than maybe I could have before that. I could have soaked and thought about like myself coming off the bench and what I'm going to do. And I'm trying to redeem myself. I'm trying to put myself back on the map. Coming off the bench ain't putting yourself back on the map. And my brother came to me and, and gave me something that I needed that really helped me throughout that, that Olympics that I was different and I was special and I can do what he couldn't do. And so that for me was, that was it. It's amazing to hear you talk about how you, you know, could have easily slidden into, you know, hey, my ego and this and that, because I think most people watch you never think of you as that guy. I mean, even in 06, when you win your, your first title, I mean, you have Shaq. You didn't have to be as gracious as you were. There's a lot of people, a lot of young bulls in that position that would have been like, tell you what, it's my team, dude, and this is what it is, but you were never like that. 
fast forward to when you and LeBron played together, it was the same way. Everybody knew it was Wade County, but you didn't have to remind people that. And so it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about that because selflessness, I think, frankly, is what people have known you for throughout most of your career, despite being a brilliant superstar. So, oh, thank you. Still got an ego, though. Still, it, clearly, so, you know, just, just quiet, just, just, just brewing, so, just brewing. Just, <laughs> All right, you get hurt. Work on them spades, though. Work on them spades. <laughs> Yo, you know what? what is Wood here? He is. Oh, he is. We, he need is some, we, is we need here. some of that smoke. <laughs> Babe, we need some of that smoke. Oh, they, she can't be talking to us like We're this. We're going to be up all night. I can just sense this. <laughs> well, I want to thank you all. Thank you, D-Wade, for sharing all of those wonderful insights. Please give him a hand. Thank you. Thank you. All right, that's it for my conversation with D-Wade. Cannot thank him enough for his time and, of course, his candor. Not going to lie, family, these last couple weeks have been really hectic for me because I've been in a heavy promotional period regarding my memoir, Uphill, which dropped on October 25th and is available wherever books are sold. I've gotten to do some really, really cool things, including making an appearance on a very popular, sometimes controversial digital TV show with my mother who I was able to introduce to one of her favorite movie stars. That's coming up next in I Got a Story to Tell. Some of you may have seen that me and my mother appeared on Red Table Talk last week. And I hope you noted that Me and Willow were the only ones on our episode who didn't cry. But I got a story to tell about our entire Red Table Talk experience. Now, one reason I wanted to do the show is that I wanted my mother to have a bit of a Hollywood experience. And of course, also the opportunity to use such a powerful vehicle to tell her story. And man, did Red Table Talk deliver. They flew my mother out to Los Angeles from Detroit first class. They put her up in the Four Seasons. They bought the clothes she wore on the show. They gave her full glam, hair, makeup. I mean, mom's face was beat to the gods. She got her own trailer. They provided us with lunch. They gave her a bunch of Red Table Talk merchandise. And even though they made her feel like a queen, which was her words, not mine, none of that was even close to what was later the icing on the cake. So after we filmed our episode, my mother and I were filming some additional content for social media. Now we were just waiting there for the social media crew to finish setting up. And then in walks Willard Smith, AKA the Fresh Prince himself. Now, I had never met him in person, and I was assuming he had no idea who I was, even though while we were taping our episode, Jada Pinkett Smith told me that Will was a fan. I thought she was just trying to be nice. But when Will came in, he gave me a warm hug, and we talked like two homies that had grown up together. He definitely knew who I was and was a fan of my work. Meanwhile, my mother, who was not necessarily known for being quiet, was utterly silent for a few minutes at least. And she was off to the side, kind of looking like a shy schoolgirl. Now I could tell she was completely starstruck and I found this to be really amusing. So I asked Will, hey, do you mind taking a picture with my mother? Because I see she is too shy to ask you for one herself. And he laughed and said, of course. And then she blurts out, I really wanted one, but I didn't want to ask. It was all good. And we took some great photos. 
Now, that's all it took for her to go from shy schoolgirl to talkative auntie. Because next thing I know, her and Will trading Bible verses, talking about life. I mean, far as I know, my mother probably invited him to her weekly prayer meeting. It was a wonderful experience, and I'm glad I was able to give my mother that taste of Hollywood that I know she has always wanted. It was the first time we've ever been interviewed together, and I know that a lot of people have varying opinions about Red Table Talk, but as far as me and my mom are concerned, they deserve a five-star rating. Now, usually at this point, I kick it back to the guests so we can continue our conversation. But as you can probably already tell, we're doing things a little out of order in this podcast. Coming up next, y'all know what time it is. Fuck it, I'm bothered. Time to break you off with the Friday. Fuck it, I'm bothered. Hit you with the spice that I offer. Fuck it, I'm bothered. It's been pretty clear that a dangerous number of people have a problem with the telling, the accurate telling, I should say, of United States history, the good, the bad and everything in between. Actually, let me be clear. There's a significant number of people who have a problem with the black experience being present in our telling of the overall American experience because of the nasty history of race relations in this country. And what I'm fucking bothered about is the collective willingness to double down on myths to preserve some folks' sensibilities. And y'all know who I mean by some folks. Recently, a couple brothers crashed a slave reenactment. Oh, wait, my bad. A civil war reenactment. And this is where people do full on civil war cosplay and reenact certain key battles that occurred during the war. These folks seem to forget that this entire war was based off the preservation of slavery. And let's just say in this case, they did not appreciate it when two black men showed up and reminded them that if they're going to play civil war, you have to include the fact that black people were slaves. Where did you get the chains? Walmart? Party City. Where are you folks from? My daddy's balls. I'm from the Candyland Plantation. That's, that's great. I'm property of Calvin Candy. Where are you from? I'm trying to tell you, you Mississippi. To tell me the truth. What's of the Mississippi? Why are you scared to speak the truth? Okay, do you Where want me to break from? character? Oh, is that a character? Is that what you're doing? Well, I mean, aren't we all in character? Why white people, and that's mostly who we're talking about here, feel the need to wax nostalgic about the most divided time in our country's history, a truly ugly chapter in our republic is just beyond me. And just so you all can really get the point about how ridiculous this is, let me use another country who had a similar ugly chapter in their history. And let me inform you about how they responded. In Germany, where the Nazis murdered nearly 6 million Jews between 1933 and 1945, displaying any Nazi related symbol is illegal in Germany and carries a punishment to up to three years in jail. Germany also has been paying reparations for the last 80 years. And as recently as last year, the Conference on Jewish Material Claims Against Germany secured an additional $767 million in benefits for Holocaust survivors. Any reprinting of Hitler's book, Mein Kampf, 
was banned and what remained of his mountain retreat was blown up by the Bavarian government to prevent it from becoming a tourist site. Now let's take a look at America, where slavery lasted roughly 250 years and historians still don't have a full handle on how many lives were lost because of the brutality of slavery. There also was another 90 years of Jim Crow that followed slavery and essentially a long period of legalized racial terror. School streets, public offices, and parks are named after former slave owners, members of the Confederate Army, and even some KKK members. Plantations have been turned into tourist sites where weddings and other events are held. The Confederate flag is legal, and up until recently, it flew over many a state office proudly. There have been no reparations for the enslaved or their families, but Abraham Lincoln paid slave owners reparations when slavery ended to compensate them for their property loss. Now, I'm not making this comparison in any way to suggest that the Jews didn't deserve to be compensated. They did. Germany did the right thing. I'm just disappointed that this country can't get to the same place. Stay unbothered. Time to break you off with the Friday. I'm bothered. Hit you with the spice that I offer. Fuck it, I'm bothered. Uh. My word, how I live, you don't wanna miss it. I was born to get it. Jamel Hill is Unbothered is produced by Spotify and Unbothered Inc. From Unbothered Inc., Christina Tapper is our head of content. Ashley Van Horn is our head of talent. Ashley J. Hobbs is our creative producer. Rich Burner is our head of network production. And Evan Dick is our executive producer. From Spotify, executive producer is Christina Tapper. And project manager is Jess Borson. Our theme, Word of the Week, and Fuck It On Bother tracks were written and performed by Brandon Lowe, produced by Lucas Spry and Alexander Hitchens. This or that music, the choice is yours, revisited by Black Sheep, written by Andres Titus, William K. McLean, and Johnny Hammond from Universal Polygram International Publishing, Inc., on behalf of itself and Pete Bow Music. You can find more from me on Twitter and Instagram at Jamel Hill. This sound like theme music. She dropped word of the week. It's best to use it. Church. Unbothered, never losing. Jamel asked this or that. Get to choosing. Pick one. Child of 7, 5, and 21. Wave goodbye to 45. Bye-bye. Don't make me tell you 50, 11 times from politics to laugh. Every week she shines. My word, how I live it. You don't want to miss it. I was born to get it. And you don't forget it. Sit back for a minute. I was born to get it. My word, how I live, you don't wanna miss it. I was born to get it. And you don't forget it. Sit back for a minute. I was born to get it.